We talked uh, last week, our um, pastor here gave a message and he talked about the fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. And there were 300 plus prophecies of the first coming of Jesus. I find it interesting there are 300 prophecies of his second coming. If the first one was reliable, you can believe the second one is reliable. So who was this Jesus? Is he someone to worship? Is he someone to kill? Is he someone who can put the world right? Or is he just a prophet? Well, I can tell you quite confidently, he is not a good prophet. There are multiple times where Jesus claimed absolutely clearly, blatantly, I am God. I am Yahweh. I am the great I am. And if you want to go and, and look at that and you say, well, that's a, not necessarily what he said, then you look at the verses afterwards where it says, after he said this, they picked up stones because on the spot they were ready to stone him for blasphemy. They knew exactly what he was claiming. So we're left with a few options. Either he was a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. If he was a lunatic, then talk to a psychologist who will explain to you that a lunatic cannot give the kind of ethical teaching that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount. A lunatic will not cry at the death of his friend and feel real emotion. A lunatic who claims to be God will not hold it together the way he did in his three-year ministry. And I could go on with that one. A liar. Jesus was led to death for what he claimed. He was rebuked, he was slapped, he was spat on, he was whipped and flogged and treated awfully and he chose to endure that. I don't believe that you would do that if you were a liar. Yeshua, Yahweh is salvation. What this tells us is that Jesus is not just some person who God, you know, oh, I'll just enter Jesus in here and I'll, and I'll put everything right. And No, this was his plan from the beginning in the Torah. And the Torah I want to talk about, a lot of people hear law, and law is a very English word. We think law, we think judicial system, we think punishment, we think fear, we think legalism. The Torah was God's instruction. And I would argue that the Torah, the law that God gave to his people, was as precious to them as Jesus is to us because it was God's provision for a world gone wrong. It was his provision of how to return to him, of how to stay in relationship with him. And in that Torah, we see encoded Yeshua, Yahweh is salvation, 12 times. See, a lot of people don't understand that God's relationship that he wants to have with people strongly parallels a marriage covenant. I think this is one of the best analogy that God uses in throughout uh, his scriptures. He talks about the church being the bride of Christ. So you understand in a marriage, if you are to cheat on your spouse, the only way you can move forward in your marriage is if they choose to forgive you. It's nothing you've done. It's not based on your faithfulness. It's not how good you can beg and plead. It's not what you, you know, pledge to do. It's whether or not they're willing to forgive you. And if they are, 
it proves they value a relationship with you more than you being perfect. So they say, you have wronged me, but because I value you, out of my grace, I'm going to take the hurt you've caused me and absorb it, and I'm going to choose to seek a relationship with you anyway. That kind of love will inspire you to treat the laws and the covenantal relationship of marriage with the most beautiful loving respect because from that moment on you are going to want to absolutely please that person. You were willing to forgive me, well I am never hurting you again. I will, I will follow the rules of marriage, I will learn day by day how to please you better. It is not a case of God looks at, you know, if you break these laws that's it. The Yahweh that we worship, the God that we worship, his identity statement is, I am Yahweh, the God of compassion and mercy. I forgive sin, rebellion and iniquity, but I do not excuse the guilty. And this is the important part in keeping with this analogy of a marriage covenant. If you were forgiven for unfaithfulness and as a response you went and were unfaithful again and you didn't care to change it. You have despised their sacrifice. You have shown contempt for what they did. You have shown no respect for the love they've done. If you struggle and you need to learn how to be a spouse but you value the relationship, God will forgive you no matter what you do. But if you don't value him, and if you don't seek to please him, and you go, yeah, God, that's cool. You forgave me for my sins. Wonderful. You know, awesome. I can, I can stop feeling guilty, but I'm going to live how I want to live. I would argue there's no relationship there. The greatest commandment is simply love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is not wishy-washy. The whole law and commandments are based on this. Understand. It is not doing away with the law. Oh yes, I'll love God and I'll be kind to people and I'll be gentle in my spirit and I'll just forget the law. No, it sums up the law. The only way you can have a true relationship with God is to value him so much that there is nothing you will not do to please him. No, you don't become perfect straight away. No, you will not fully please him and work your way to heaven. But seeking a relationship with God is what's going to get you there. Think about a marriage covenant. The most important thing you would want your spouse to do is love you and desire to treat you well. Whether or not they keep that all the time is upon your grace to forgive. But where is their heart intention? And this is why Jesus said the greatest commandment. And so I would argue if you have not learnt to love God, then don't even worry about the rest of the law till you sort that one out. That comes first. Keeping the rest of the law will follow. And maybe you're saying to yourself, this is a pretty hard message because I'm here and yet I'm not free from evil thoughts. Day by day I'm plagued. I'm diseased by sin. And yes, sin is killing us. Sin is killing us. If you are, if you are dying from a disease and you get healed, wonderful. You've prolonged death. You're still going to die. The only way you can have a solution to the ultimate problem of death is in the person and the God of Jesus Christ. 
it's important to understand that he was silent before his accusers, like a lamb. I've watched footage of, uh, in Jerusalem where they do a Passover celebration and they, they uh, do a sacrifice of a lamb. And I used to think, you know, poof, that would be a pretty grim sight. Actually, it was kind of beautiful to watch. They, uh, they get together and they, they hug each other and they celebrate. And then very quickly and humanely, they kill a lamb and then they eat it that day. They feast together and they celebrate that our sins have been forgiven by this blood. Unfortunately, what they don't understand is they don't need to do that anymore because Jesus, the Lamb of God, spilled his blood. You see, death needs to be paid for with blood. Sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. So I would beg you and I would plead with you, let it go. Don't hang on to this sin. Oh, well, I can't seek God because you don't understand how sin plagues me. You know, I've tried to pull myself together, but, you know, this, this, this God message is too hard because I can't do it. The law will not make you right with God. In the same way, being faithful to a spouse will not give you a healthy marriage. Only loving that spouse will. Then the law follows. If you have a heart for God and there is a change where you understand that his plan from the beginning was to, to cost everything of himself, to send Jesus and to die for our sins when he committed no wrong, you will be amazed at his love and then, then out of response, you will keep the law. Then out of response, you will learn to be free of sin. You don't come to God to get all together and sorted. You don't come to God when you've, when you've fixed yourself and you've been free from evil desires. You come to God to thank him for his salvation and then you walk with him so you can learn to be free from evil desires. There's something we do at church and, um, and if you're not used to it, don't be afraid of it. It is not by religion that you are saved. Um, we take communion. Um, it's symbolic. It doesn't mean anything to come up here or yep, just there and, and, and eat a little bit of bread and drink wine unless it's a moment for you to reflect and think about the sacrifice. And that's why we do that at church. That's all it is. There's no weird religion. It's a moment to remember that Jesus' blood was poured out for us and that his body was broken for us. If you don't feel comfortable taking communion, there is no pressure. There is no judgment here. There is only encouragement that you will seek God. And so while um, some people choose to reflect in that manner, um, I ask that you just spend some time reflecting on the fact that God, from the very beginning, planned to send a part of himself, planned to give us a way to have life. The death of Jesus cost God everything, cost him everything. And he chose to die in a horrible way so that we can claim that our sin has been paid for. If it, Jesus had not died, then our sin is left unaccounted and we will die for it.
I don't tell you a message to, ha to win your church membership. I don't tell you a message to hope that you'll come back here and say what a good message it was. I hope to shake a little bit of fear of God into people. And I firmly believe that there is a day coming where God will not put up with sin anymore and he will judge the world in righteousness. But the blessed hope, the blessed hope is that God will keep his beautiful church, his bride, the ones who love him from that hour of wrath. May we be looking for the Lord's second coming because the prophecies were fulfilled the first time when he came. The second time is right around the corner. At the end of the service, please grab one of these. Look at the evidence for yourself. And if you don't have a Bible, we have a few of these. It's a simple Gospel of John. One of the disciples who witnessed the life, the teaching, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you read this daily, you will learn to have a relationship with the God who loved you so much that he counted your life more precious than death. Please have some time to think.